Fashion, oh, a good old-fashioned gospel hymn, He the Pearly Gates will open. Very much in fitting with what I want to say tonight. It's good to be back with you again, and we appreciate all who have made the effort to come out to hear the word of the Lord. You're in the best place tonight, at the best time, the Lord's day and the Lord's house, and the word of God is going to be open, and that old, old story again of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus will be proclaimed. Can we turn, please, to John's Gospel and the chapter 14? John's Gospel and the chapter 14. And we're just going to read the first six verses of that chapter. John chapter 14. (coughs) The words of the Savior. And we'll put them into context by way of introduction, after we have read the Scriptures. John 14 and the verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, the words of the Savior himself, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither or where I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, or how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the flower but by me. And on that note, we will end our reading. May God bless it to each and every heart of those gathered here. Let's seek his face again just for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the meeting thus far, the singing of these hymns of praise, both by uh, Lord, our, our friends here, and the congregation at large, for the reading of the Scriptures. And now the hour has come for the preaching of thy word. We would remind thee, Father, that it pleases thee by the foolishness of preaching, what the world contemns. It pleases thee to take it up and to use it to save those who will believe. We pray for all the unsaved who are gathered with us here tonight that they might be brought to the feet of the Lord Jesus to call upon his name. For any that are backslidden in heart, cold in their ways, or may such be restored again to fellowship with thee. And may there be, Lord, as we were reminded even in that opening piece, Father, of sung earlier, may there be a little reviving among the people of God. Hear an answer prayer. Give me the power that I need to preach thy word, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's the words of verse 2 this evening I feel that we should turn our thoughts and our attention to. Uh, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. This text, this truth is primarily a text for, for God's people. You'll notice that 
Taking out it in context, it was spoken in private. That is, it was spoken by the Lord Jesus just to eleven apostles. One of the apostles is missing because Judas has gone out to betray him. The previous verses of the previous chapter make that very, very clear. There are verses 21 to 30. At the end it says, Judas went out and it was night. And Judas, we would have to say, was never saved. He was never regenerate. He was never born again of the Spirit of God. Yes, he was exalted to the highest position in the church. He was one of the apostles. But all the time, he was a devil. Words of the Savior, have I not chosen one of you? And one of you is a devil. That is, he was devilish in his nature. And not only that, but he is called in John 17, the son of perdition. And he is a child of hell. Tonight, as we sit here, Judas, I believe, is in hell. These words, that is the words of our text, are applicable in their fullest, therefore, to the people of God. Those who are identified there in verse 1, where he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Those who have faith in God, not in that vague, mushy, cloudy, and ultimately uh, meaningless kind of way. Judas Iscariot was not an atheist. He was, in that vague way, a believer in God. But we're talking here, Jesus is talking here, about the saving faith. That faith that brings us into the family of God. That faith that is spoken of in John 1 and verse 12, where it says, to as many as received him. That's a kindred word. To as many as believed in him. To as many as received him. To them, to them alone we might say, he gives the power. He gives the authority. He gives the right to become the children of God. And it is the children of God alone. They are those who will reap the full benefit of our text. But tonight, of course, it's a gospel meeting, a gospel meeting in the midst of a gospel mission. And I believe that this is a good text from which to preach the gospel. You remember way back in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 29, the children of Israel, they have come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're pressing on towards the promised land. And we read of their leader, a man called Moses. He turned to Hobab. He was his father-in-law. And he says to that man, Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. And that's very simply what we're going to do tonight. As God's people were saying to the unsaved in the gathering, our future, our future is bright tonight. We're looking forward to eternity. That unending period after death, unsaved one, that you absolutely fear and refuse to discuss at length or even mention. This unending period is for us the Lord's people, an encouragement to keep going. As the hymn writer put it, we're pilgrims bound for glory. We're pilgrims going home. And we, we say to you tonight, and we say it sincerely, 
not for dramatic effect or anything like that, but sincerely we say to you tonight, come thou with us, and we will do you good, because we're going home to the Father's house. Let me give you, as I believe the Lord Jesus did, a little tour, as it were, of the Father's house. The first thing that I want you to notice here, number one, we have the warmth of the Father's house. The warmth of the Father's house. Our, our Lord Jesus could have just said, in heaven there are many mansions. In the abode above, in the place beyond the sky, there are many mansions. But notice that he said, in my Father's house. Often the unsaved people look at God as cold and stern. They see his absolute holiness a great truth that we will neither deny nor dilute, but they see it as something that is entirely negative, entirely negative. And we must ask, why is this? The Christian, of course, he sees the holiness of God as something that is to be praised. The words of the psalmist, Psalm 30, he says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints, and give thanks, give thanks at what? At the remembrance of his holiness. And therefore we must ask, why are the ungodly not like that? Why is there not that thrill when they think about the holiness of God? And the answer is very simple. Because they believe Satan's line that God is a killjoy that God is a killjoy, that he is too restrictive, and that sin is harmless, if not good. That's what the devil says. And of course, we have to deny that. We, we can't let that go by default. The devil was here speaking like that. We would interrupt him right away. We would say, you're not telling the truth. You never have. Because the Bible says the devil, listen to this tonight, the devil is a liar. And the devil is a murderer from the very beginning. He is well practiced in what he does. He has perfected the art of lying. And we believe that he ought to be unmasked. And we ought to get his operations out into the open and expose him for what he truly is. But when we think of God tonight, we're thinking of God as our heavenly Father. My Father's house, yes, He is entirely holy and just, that's true. Yes, He is at war at sin, and He will ever be at war with sin. But here's, a, here's the gospel tonight. He has a great heart, a great heart that's pumping with love toward the sinner. Who is the sinner? The sinner tonight is us all, because the Scripture says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It may be said indeed, as Paul taught in Mars, Hill, and Athens, that we are all the offspring of God. We are all the offspring of God. That was his own words there in Athens. But that is in a creation sense of the word. We touched on that just a little bit this morning. We are the works of his hand. And in that sense, the offspring of God. But morally, 
not physically now, but morally and spiritually. The Bible says if we're unsaved, then we're the offspring of the devil. That text, it tells us that the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Came from the lips of the Lord Jesus. He was speaking to Pharisees. He was speaking to religious people, strict people. And he said to them, Ye are of your father, the devil. It's this that damns. But I return again. And I say that God has a great warm heart towards the sinner. A great text, of course, that we all know, we all love so well with its 25 words, 12 on one side, 12 on the other, the sun in the middle. is John 3 and 16. And as long as John 3 and 16 is in the Bible, we can stand on that text. We can preach the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What did he give him to? He gave him to die upon the cross for our sins, here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. What a great truth it is. And this propitiation is the only means whereby God can be just, and yet the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. Oh, his house, I say, tonight is a warm house. He sends you out an invitation. Listen to what he's saying to you tonight. He says, return unto me, because you've wandered far away. He says, return unto me, and I will return unto you. He stands, as it were, at the door of the house, and he says, How long, ye simple ones? The word simple there just means, How long, ye foolish ones? Will you love simplicity? Will you love and hold on to your folly? And how long will the scorners delight in their scorning? And how long will the fools hate knowledge? And then the next verse is this, Turn ye your backs towards God. He says, Turn ye. At my reproof. In other words, come home. We have a lovely picture of this over in John chapter 1 and the verse 38. Away at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord, John the Baptist was still many ways holding the line there. And then came the Lord Jesus, and John pointed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two disciples of John, they, they turned to the Lord Jesus, and they said, Master, where dwellest thou? Where do you live? Where is your house? And the Lord Jesus said, Come. Come and see. Oh, there's nothing cold here. The warmth of the Father's house. Number two, moving on, we have the wealth of the Father's house. The wealth of the Father's house. Because he says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. Now, the word it is translated mansions there just literally means dwelling places. It's only used in one other place in the New Testament, so it doesn't give us a lot of regal room there. And it is used and translated by the words of the Savior elsewhere. He talked about the Father and the Son coming to the one who loved Christ, who kept his commandments, 
who did what they were meant to do, he says, the Father and the Son, we will come and we will, quote, make our abode with him. It's the same word that is translated here as mansions. But let us not lose the sense of majesty here, because the Father's house is the dwelling place of Almighty God. Psalm 10, verse 16, the Lord, that is, the Father is king forever and forever. And it's a place, therefore, of infinite wealth. How is the gospel described? What is preached when we, when we preach the gospel? How would you summarize all those great doctrines of, of God's Word? Well, they're all collected together in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. They are described as the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. How is the gospel illustrated? Well, there was a parable that the Lord told about a man who was seeking goodly pearls. He must have had a lot of money. He wasn't waiting and dealing down the lower end of the market, just making a little pound or two along the way. No, this was a high flyer. Here's a man dealing in goodly pearls. Here's a man who would put the little glass thing to his eye and he would hold it up and he would analyze it and he would invest money in it. But then the Bible says he found the one pearl, the one pearl of great price, and he wanted to have it. And in order to have it, and this parable is just told to show the worth of the gospel, not how you obtain it, but to show the worth of the gospel, in order to get that one pearl of great price, so great was the price, that he had to sell all that he had to go and to buy it. Always our goodly pearls. And that's telling you something about the worth of the gospel. Oh, contrast this with the devil's promised wealth. It's ill-gotten. It's ill-gotten. You think about the Garden of Eden. Oh, I go back there. I, I believe in the Garden of Eden. I'm one of those people that believe that. I don't argue about it. I just, I just believe it there. Who owned the trees in the garden? Who planted them? Who did they belong to? They belonged unto the Lord. They belonged unto the, unto the Lord. What right, what authority did Satan have, for he came in the disguise of the snake to tell Eve that she could eat of any tree. That wasn't his to call. Those trees belonged to God, and God said, of all the trees, you have my permission to eat, except for that one there, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in comes this usurper, this liar, this murderer from the beginning. And he said, oh, you can eat of any tree. You can eat of any tree you want. Who was the devil to give permission like that? You imagine somebody standing at a big electric store, and you walk in the door, and he steps forward, and he says, you know, you can just take anything you want. If you want an iPad, well, there's big expensive ones over there. If you just lift it and put it in your bag and out you go. And you say to yourself, unless this is the owner of the store, this, man, this man's a criminal. This man has no right, he has no authority to encourage me to steal. And when you listen to the devil's voice, as you might well be doing in this gathering tonight, Remember, all that he offers you is stolen property. It is ill-gotten. 
And then the pleasures and the wealth that the devil offers you, not only is it ill-gotten, but it's only temporary. It doesn't last. It can only last as long as your life at the very most. And your life is just like a little wind that passeth and cometh not again. Fearing are the worldling's pleasure, all their boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but science children know. They're injurious pleasures. They're injurious even in laughter in this life, even in laughter the heart is sorrowful. The end of that mirth is heaviness. The Bible says, yes, stolen waters are sweet. The context there is speaking about immorality. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he that is the man who partakes of those things, he knows not that death, he knows not that the dead are there and her guests, for they were the words of an immoral woman, her guests are in the depths of hell. There's always a sting in the tail. You'll not escape it. There's always a sting in the tail when you listen to the devil's pleasures and you seek to engage in them. It's short-lived wealth, but not so. In the Father's house, there are many mansions. Here is pure treasure. Here's lasting joy. Isaiah 51, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing on the Zion, an everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Oh, money can't buy the wealth that we have in the Lord Jesus. We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. You can't buy pardon for sin. You can't buy peace with God. You can't buy the peace of God. You can't put a deposit down for a home in heaven. It's found only in the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus. We see thirdly here, there's room in the Father's house. There's room in the Father's house because not only are there mansions, we're told that there are many mansions. That means that there's room. God gave Abraham away back in those early parts of Genesis. He gave Abraham a great promise. He took him out one day and he said, Abraham, look up into the sky. And Abraham looked up into the sky and there were millions of stars. And he said, that's going to be the number of your seed, of your children. He told him to look in the sand. And he said again, those grains of sand and number will be the same as your children. Who are the children of Abraham of whom this verse is speaking? Galatians 3 and verse 7 know, says this, Know ye therefore that they that are of faith, they who are saved, those who have been born again of the Spirit of God, they are the children of Abraham. And when it says that there are many mansions, it's telling me that all kinds of sinners can be saved. Even the most ungodly man, if he will repent and believe the gospel, he will be saved. 
If you follow the daily light readings and the little devotional, then you will remember that last night made reference to this man called the wicked Manasseh, one of the most wickedest men who ever walked on the face of this earth. And yet the Bible says he humbled himself greatly. He turned to God. We believe that he was saved. Saul of Tarsus, that murderer, that persecutor of the church. He says, I destroyed the faith. He wiped out assembly and congregation after assembly and congregation. He was a man whose hands dripped with the blood of Christians, saved, saved by grace alone on the road to Damascus. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. You think of the church at Corinth. We were in Corinth this morning. Who, con who constituted the church in Corinth? All kinds of wicked people. You have a list of their crimes. Some of the vilest. Some of the vilest. I could mention them tonight, but I could not dare to tell you what they meant. They were the vilest of the vile. Such were some of you, past tense. But now, but now, now in Christ, you're washed, you're cleansed. I have a place in heaven. Oh, let me assure you, there's room for you and God's salvation plan. I can judge this from the unfettered, unlimited width of the great invitation. It's called the free offer of the gospel. It's a central tenet to the Reformed faith. It says, whosoever will, let him come and take freely of the water of life and the great assurance, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Recently down south, south of the border, the government in the Irish Republic had to send word out to Ukraine. The war has broken out in Ukraine, places flattened and so on. Refugees are plenty. Thousands of them at the invitation of the Irish government piling into Ireland. But now there's a problem. The big problem is they don't have room for them all. The hotels are full. The old army camps have been opened up. There's people in tents. Not sure whether they're still there, but they were in tents at the beginning of the summer. There's nowhere for them to go. And they had to send word back to Ukraine that Ireland is full. There is no more room. But there's room enough in the gospel. You remember the words that there are in the great parable? Again, the great feast that the Lord had he sent out, and they came in from the hedgerows. They come in from the streets of the cities and the towns. They're bringing them in. They're feeding them. And the word goes out, even though they've done a great work, yet there is room. And there's room at the cross for you. There's room in heaven, for there's many mansions. We have here, fourthly moving on quickly, we have the certainty of the Father's house. Because we have a unique phrase here in John chapter 14 and verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then this phrase, if it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. It's just another way with several ways of affirming the truths of God's Word. Usually the Savior 
had the double verily, 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 I say unto you. It's just a different way of putting that same thought across, but it's the whole idea of certainty. Now, I believe when it comes to what God says that only one stating is necessary because the Word of God is true. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to make a mistake at all. But you know when He assures us, when he goes the extra mile, when he repeats himself just to get the point across, well, then we're left without any excuse. You can't sit and say, well, I don't think there's room for me tonight. If it were not so, I would have told you. Fifthly and lastly, it's a prepared place in the Father's house I go to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be a perfect place, isn't it? Oh, we look forward to that. It's hard to think, isn't it? A hundred years from now, we'll all be out in eternity. Unless you live to a big, long age, you'll be the exception to the rule. And to think sometimes a hundred years from now, child of God, maybe a lot less, you'll be in the glory that eternal weight of glory. You will be safe home in the Father's house. But it's a prepared place for a prepared people. And the old words are still there. They were on the text until a few weeks ago, and then on the board out there, if I tell it right, and then, of course, the mission invite and so on has been there. The Bible says, prepare. Prepare to meet your God. It's something that doesn't come automatic. The default is that you will you'll be lost. You need to prepare to meet him. One day you're going to meet him anyway, but when it says prepare to meet your God, it means prepare to meet him in a saved condition. Prepare to meet him whereby he will not banish you into the depths of hell whereby he will say, Come, ye blessed of my Father, into the kingdom that has been prepared for you, into my house that has been prepared for you, even from the foundation of the world. How do you prepare? You say, What must I do? God's Word says, If we confess our sins. Yes, unto God himself, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, you come in spirit to that hillside called Calvary where Jesus fled and died. And you gaze by faith on the Son of God who bore our sins on his own body to the tree. And you just bow the head and say, Lord, save me. Poor, vile, wicked wretch of a sinner. Save me for the sake of your Son. And the Bible says that he will. He's all these rooms to get filled up, and he wants you in them. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Will you come tonight? This would be a great night to come. This is a great night to come. Because it's a gospel night. It's still the day of grace. Bible says one day the door will be shut. Those foolish virgins who thought they had plenty of time and ran out of time, 
Oh, they thought they were going to get in. They went to get the oil. You know the story. And when they were away, the bridegroom came and the door was shut. Mr. Ryle said that door had never been shut before, but it is shut and there's no more hope. You want to be on the right side and you can be on the right side tonight. You're not saved by coming this very night as a sinner to Jesus. And if you come, he'll wash you, he'll cleanse you, he'll come into your heart and you'll be saved, saved with an eternal and lasting salvation. That's by our heads, please, just for a moment in prayer. The meeting will soon be over. We're going to sing a couple of verses of a hymn. But can I counsel you tonight, if you're unsaved, your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, you're in the presence of the Lord who searches your heart. Will you not say, Lord, save me? Just where you're sitting in your seat, you don't have to, you don't need a preacher. You need a preacher to preach, do you? But you know just where you're sitting, you say, Lord, I'm the sinner that Jesus came to save. And I want to be in your house, that house in heaven not made with hands, that building, that city that hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Or if you want to speak with us afterwards, we're happy to facilitate that because that's what we do. And that would throw our heart to point you to Christ. Father, we thank you for your help tonight in the preaching of the word. Let it not fall idly to the ground. We know how the birds of the air come. They pluck away the good seed. We can't help that. We, we can do nothing about that, Father. But let some fall on the good ground and bring forth fruit unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The hymn 200, we're just going to sing verses 1 and 2 of the hymn 200. Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the earth shall hear. Saved by grace alone. What a testimony to have. The hymn 200, verses 1 and 2, and then the meeting will be over. Standing, please, heaven two hundred.
with those words ringing in our ears and in our hearts. We bring this meeting now to an end. May the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Shall hear, save my grace alone. This, all right, brother.